I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel and to chapter 15 this morning. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to begin this morning in verse 29, go through the end of the chapter. You know, a couple of, couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked in Matthew 15 at a very engaging story about a woman who was an outcast. At least she was an outcast in terms of a, a relationship with, with God. She was a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, which put her outside of God's covenant people. And yet, interestingly, it was through her that Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to be able to, to come to Him and to gain entrance to Him. Here are the, the, the final words that Jesus shared with her that we have in this, this account. It was back in verse 28. Jesus answered her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. She had, she had asked that her daughter, who was suffering from a, a, a demon oppression, that her daughter be healed. And he said, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That's what we were looking at at that time. How someone must approach Jesus, and the key word there is with faith. And he said and demonstrated through this woman and through the interchange with her, how great is your faith. Uh, this woman who was undeserving, this woman who was on the outside, and, and we talked about how that was looking forward to the, the engrafting of the Gentiles into uh, God's people. Well, this morning we're going to shift to looking at sort of the same matter, coming to the Lord Jesus, but looking at it from a different perspective. Rather than asking the question, how must I approach Jesus in order to be received, in order to be accepted, we're going to ask this, do I know, do I see the Lord Jesus for who He really is? Do I understand why He came, what He came to achieve. Do, do I know what He's like? Do I understand the need that I have for, for Him? So the focus is, is going to be upon the Lord Jesus and upon what He has done and who He is. You know, we live in a world today that seems to provide for us uh, so much help in so many ways. If you think about you know, where we live in this part of the world, this time in history, there seems to be so much help available for us to, to fix our various ailments, uh, to help us to live uh, well. You know, one of the phrases that I seem to be hearing more and more, it's, it, it's a part of clinics and uh, a nurse line that I saw recently, is wellness, uh, wellness clinics, uh, a wellness nurse line. Uh, because there are all these, these, these helps that we have to help us to live well, to 
today, and in addition to that, and I, I think right now we probably have more medical professionals here available to us than almost any time in, in history. Uh, we also have social programs you know, to help with almost any need when we're in need of different kinds. All of this help, but at the same time, and I don't think it's just me, but when I look at the world around me and around us, what I see is that there's also more depression. There's also more desperation. There's also more hopelessness today than perhaps at almost any time in history. And all of this, it's got to cry out, doesn't it, for something that, that, is, that is true and that is final, a real help for us, something that will finally heal what we need, a real fix to the human condition in which we find ourselves. Nothing temporary anymore. Well, that's what we find. That's what we're going to be looking at in this morning's passage. Now, I do want to, want to mention uh, as we look at this passage that, that part of it is very similar uh, if you were here a number of weeks ago, we, we went over a passage that was very similar. We looked at uh, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. Uh, 5,000 men along with uh, women and, and children. Doesn't tell us exactly how many. Well, today we're going to be looking at Jesus' feeding of the 4,000. At least that's part of our passage. Uh, now, the other one, feeding the 5,000, is found in all four Gospels, Gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, this is found in here in Matthew's Gospel and also in Mark's Gospel. And I, I just want to say this before we look at it, that this is not a, not a typo. It's not sort of an a- accidental duplication that we find in here. This is a, it's a separate account. It occurred at a different time. There are great similarities, but there are also uh, distinct differences as well. So have that in mind as we... Uh, look at this passage. So, again, Matthew chapter 15, I'll begin in verse 29. This is God's Word. Jesus went on from there. It's talking about uh, the prior place, district of Tyre and Sidon, way up to the north, uh, a, a Gentile area. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great, so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. 
And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were about 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. I invite you to join me in prayer. Father, we we thank you uh, as we come to this passage this morning. We thank you that we can see displayed here uh, your care for us. Uh, We thank you that we can see displayed here uh, the work of the Lord Jesus. At the same time, Lord, we, we need your help in understanding this and taking this and applying it to our own hearts and our own lives. And so we do pray for your help by your Spirit uh, that you would give us that ability to see, the ability to, in a greater way, know the Lord Jesus. And if we haven't come to that place of receiving Him as our Savior, we pray that you would help us there, uh, Lord. Help us to, to be able to see Him for who He truly is and to see us in our great need for Him. Uh, We pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. You know, over uh, just the past few days, uh, Amy and I have found out about a a couple that we knew from a number of years back uh, during our, our seminary days. I had gone to seminary with him. We were kind of the same year, very close uh, we took uh, a couple of classes together. She had been in a small group with, uh, with Amy, and just before we left, they had had uh, children, or, or uh, they were babies, uh, a couple of babies at the time that we got to know a little bit. Well, since that time, they became missionaries in Papua New Guinea, uh, and more recently in Brazil, um, and, and less than a week ago, uh, their young son, uh, nine years old, Malachi, uh, got an infection, an infection that normally would cause in, in most people uh, a sickness, maybe a severe sickness for a time period, but then a recovery. Well, for him, it got into his vital organs. Uh, and from what we understand, he has now been placed on life support. And he's in extremely critical condition. Uh, and words can't describe, as we've been praying for him and for them, words can't describe what they must be going through right now and experiencing. Uh, then I want to describe for you a, a, a very different situation, but uh, still difficult in many ways. Last weekend, we, were at, we weren't here. We were at Faith Presbyterian in Morganton, North Carolina, and while we were there... And, we went to the church there with, uh, with my dad, uh, my sister and her husband's church, and we've gotten to know the family, the pastor's family there uh, really well, and so we got a chance to spend a little bit of time together with them, and uh, over the years, uh, they've uh, provided for us, they've, they've uh, known us, loved us, uh, prayed for us, we've done 
done the same in some ways for, for them. Uh, well, when we were there, we got a chance to see their daughter, Jenny. Uh, and Jenny is someone that always puts a smile on your face when you see her because she's always smiling. But she has a condition uh, where she is at and, and has been at since birth about a seven-month-old uh, mental level. And so now she's, she's full-grown, uh, maybe, I don't know, 28, 30 years, something like that uh, of age. Uh, but she is restricted severely uh, in her, her mind and in her, her ability to do things. And so they've, they've needed to have really 24-7 care uh, for her over the years. Uh, now, again, these are two very different situations, but they have a commonality. Uh, they express something that every one of us here is in touch with in this world, something that we have the capacity to understand uh, that we would know immediately what it would mean for Malachi or for Jenny or for others, maybe that you know personally in this type of a condition to be healed immediately of that condition in which they find themselves. A place in which the chains are removed physically and mentally. And, and they'd, they'd be able to go about in this world and live life truly to its fullest. You know, our hearts are drawn toward that, aren't they? We long for that. You know, I've heard Mike, uh, Pastor Mike, Jenny's dad, talk about looking forward to the day when she will have the chains removed. And he believes that that day will come, uh, not in this world, but in the world that is to come. And the point is that when it comes to this when it comes to severe physical ailments, that those, the, those ailments that seem to be permanent, unalterable conditions uh, in this world, it's not hard for us to understand what it would be like for there to be complete and final healing in this world. And that that would be nothing short of glorious. You know, that's why in this passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, Jesus heals so many people of their physical conditions. Conditions that in that day would have, have seemed permanent. Look with me at verse 30. Verse 30 Jesus went on from there, walked beside the Sea of, uh, of Galilee, verse 29, uh, and great crowds came to Him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at His feet, and He healed them. Now look at the conditions that are mentioned there. Lame, blind, crippled, uh, uh, restricted, restricted speech, which often goes along with restricted hearing, deaf, uh, those conditions that in that day, certainly, and many of them in our day today, there was no uh, fix for. And what did they do? They laid the people 
at Jesus' feet. And it simply says this. It says that He healed them. That's it. That's the thing that we're supposed to see here. That when it comes to the incurable, that Jesus is the healer. And we're told this because we can immediately understand the implications of it. We know what it's like in this world, something of what it's like for people to have debilitating physical conditions. And we know what it would be like for them to be healed. We get that, and we long for it. But this passage is not speaking about physical healing. And I make that point here because there are many who take this passage in that way. And it's a temptation that we can fall prey to. That we think that Jesus is most concerned about healing our bodies. And therefore, that should be our greatest concern when it comes to our prayers. And when it comes to our ministry. You know, Matthew Henry, the, the great Bible commentator of the 18th century, put it this way. He said that if Christ's ministers could cure bodily diseases as Christ did, there would be more flocking to them than there is. You know, Matthew Henry obviously didn't know about TV evangelists. And he didn't know about megachurch prosperity gospel preachers. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said this in a theoretical sense, as if it wasn't already happening. Now, Matthew Henry goes on to say, we are so quickly sensible of bodily pain and sickness, which is true. But few are concerned about their souls and their spiritual sickness, their spiritual diseases. That was true in that day, and that's true today. And it's, it spells out, I think, a danger for us that we face. What we should be most concerned about. It is that. It's, it's our souls. It's our spiritual diseases. And that's what this passage is about. Now, now, God's Word does not tell us not to be concerned about the body and about its condition. He doesn't tell us that He's not going to provide for the body and for its condition. And that our hearts shouldn't go out to those with devastating illnesses, debilitating conditions, those who are close to us, we should pray for them. And we should seek the Lord's healing, His provision. But that's not the greatest problem of anyone here. And that's, that's a statement that we need to hear and we need to, to take home. Because our greatest problem is that we've gone our own way. It's that we've been estranged from God. That is our incurable wound. You remember what we read about in Isaiah chapter 1. And I'm just going to read a, a, a little bit of it. He said... Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You know, that, that's the problem that he's pointing to here. That is our number one problem 
today, and of course what we need, is the one who can bring that final and complete healing to that condition. When it comes to the incurable, Jesus is the healer that we need to have. He is the one who is ready to heal, and He is the one who is able to heal. Those are two points that I'm going to make this morning out of our passage. He is the one who is ready to heal. He is the one who is able to heal. So first of all, Jesus is the one who is ready to heal. You know, I, I think this is one of the most wonderful things we can see in Scripture. If you don't see the Lord Jesus as one who cares about you, as one who has compassion toward you, as one who loves you as His, then you might be in a place in which you appreciate Him as something like uh, maybe a, a, a bountiful great uncle who has the means and he, he provides for some of his family, but, you, but you'll never know Him personally. You'll never really see love toward yourself. You'll never know that you're cared for. But with Jesus, He wants us to know Him as He really is, as one who really loves you. You know, it stands out uh, as we look at this account of Jesus healing all of, of these people. He heals one after another after another. I think there were 4,000 men there, plus women and children. Uh, many who needed healing. And so that's, that's part of uh, what we see that all it took for Jesus to heal, two things, was number one, that, that the, the person needed healing, and number two, that they were to be placed before Him. Jesus didn't ask for anything else. Uh, he didn't ask, or we don't see it here, about their family background. He didn't ask about what they had done during their lives, whether good or bad. And, you know, he never seemed, if you go back through all the accounts of Jesus' healing, he never seemed to stop anyone from bringing someone to him. The two things, as long as the need was there, and they came to him to meet the need. That was enough. And so he healed them. And, you know, as we read further here, I, I think we get a sense of what was really going on within Jesus, what his motives were in this next account with the feeding of the, of the 4,000. Uh, we learn here that these people were with him up in the mountain or large hill for three days. Three days in which you know, we can imagine he probably would have been teaching. We see that in most of his accounts. But much of it, the focus here is upon his healing. Now, the people certainly wouldn't have been expected to come uh, prepared for that. And so, uh, they didn't have the provisions for three days. And so, here's what Jesus says to his disciples this is in verse 32. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. In other words, they had long since run out of food. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. God cares about the condition of His people. You know, those who, who came to Him. Those, 
people who came to him represent the people of God. Now, what we see here is they, they probably weren't, for the most part, the people of God. And we'll talk about that uh, in, a, in a moment. But they represent those who came to him to find healing. And that is the people of God. And what did he do? He had compassion on them, kind of like a mother or with, with her child who says, no, don't go. Don't go until you've had something to eat. Otherwise, you're going to be weak and you might fall into harm. And so that's what Jesus said uh, to this people. And I, I think that informs us why Jesus performed the healing in the first place. He had compassion upon them. He saw their condition, and he knew their helplessness, and he was deeply moved. You know, J.C. Ryle says this, he says, Of all the feelings experienced by our Lord when he was upon the earth, there is none so often mentioned as compassion. This was the distinguishing feature of his character. Let me ask you, is this how you think about Jesus? When you think about him, do you think of his compassion, his love for you, his care for you in all the ways that he can. Uh, is this your thought about him? Especially when you go through your days and you experience the coldness or the indifference often of the world that's around us and perhaps even of those who are our friends. Do you take comfort in the knowledge that you are known by Jesus and that you are loved by Jesus? Is that the way you think about Him? You know, in, in Roman Catholicism, uh, Jesus' mother Mary came to be emphasized unbiblically because of this very reason. They felt like there needed to be uh, someone to, to pray to, to draw closer to someone who had greater compassion uh, than, than Jesus, who could speak to Jesus really for them because he seemed more distant. He seemed less compassionate. You know, you think about it. Look at what we see here about Jesus. That he is the one who has loved with the greatest love. He is the one who has compassion for his people. You know, what I think is usually that kind of a, a mindset can come from someone who doesn't know the true source of their misery, uh, doesn't know what the deepest wound is inside that needs help. You know, I think we can see this especially out of the Old Testament. I want to turn to that passage in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 1 once again. Uh, here's what, uh, what the Lord said uh, through Isaiah. The ox knows its owner. And the donkey, its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They have forsaken the Lord. They, are, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You know, this was a people who didn't recognize the, the, the reason for their sickness and their ailments. They didn't see that it was their sin, their estrangement from God. And that's a question that's always there before us, isn't it? Do I see that? Do I recognize that my biggest problem, my biggest need, the, biggest, the greatest need for healing that I have is my estrangement from God? 
You know, as soon as we see that, and we, are, we, we come to Him, and, and like this people, we are, we are placed before Him, submitted to Him, we experience His compassion and His love. And it reminds us of, or reminds me of, of those words of Jesus that we see, uh, it's in Matthew 23 and other accounts, where Jesus says of Israel, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you hear the compassion, the love that he has for this people? But then what he says, But you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. Now, Jesus has compassion for his people. He longs to care for us and to give us exactly what we need. Here again about the, the reason that he came. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Uh, but here's what he said about the reason that he came. To bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of pr the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God. In other words, to destroy the enemies, to destroy those who hold us captive, to comfort all who mourn, uh, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the gar garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Here's the reason that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Can you imagine? That's what he calls those who are his, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That they may, in the end, lift up their praises to him. And so the question is, do we see this? Do we, do we see the Lord Jesus for who he truly is? That he is one who has compassion upon those who are his. He has the greatest affection for you. That he is the one who looked at you in all of your ugliness, in all of your unrighteousness, and said right there, there is one that I am willing to die for and to give myself over for. Well, this is the Lord Jesus, the one who came to set us free. And how amazing it is, if you think about it, to know Him in this way, to know of His love and His compassion for us. So that's first. He is ever ready to heal. But also he is the one who is able to heal. You know, when people go away from Scripture, there are two basic errors that we see when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Two basic errors. You almost always see this. The first one, that Jesus is not personal. That he, He's God. He, he is deity, uh, but he's not able to know me, to, to, to be with me. He's not personal. He doesn't have compassion on me. Now, we just looked at that. But the second one is that Jesus lacks power. Uh, it's that Jesus is personal. 
He hears our prayers. He longs that we would pray to Him, and He answers them. But when it comes down to it, He's not really in control of all things. In other words, He's truly powerless to help you, to help me in our greatest need. Now, Scripture constantly refutes both of those. But it's the second that, uh, that we need to, to deal with here. And it's something I, I think as we go through this passage that is almost impossible to miss. You know, in fact, uh, this is one of those passages I think uh, that I could just read the passage again to us and the point would be perfectly made. It's that clear. But I can't resist walking us through it just a bit at the risk of obscuring things a little bit. Now, there's something here that should strike us right away as we read this passage, and that is that God delights in amazing those who are His people. You know, we should be amazed at the Lord Jesus, at His works in our lives, in the, in the lives of, of others. You know, this crowd that brought these people to be healed. Obviously, they knew something about Jesus before they came. Uh, you know, he had already uh, fed the 5,000. That had taken place. There are a number of occasions when he had, had healed many people, maybe not quite to this uh, scale. But they knew something about his, his power to heal. Yet it says in verse 31 uh, that the crowd... Wondered. Now, I think the, the ESV could use a better word there. Other accounts say that uh, they were amazed, that they marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing. Now, they, were, they were amazed at what He had done. And, of course, uh, we would have been amazed too. But notice the connection that they make. And that is that this can only be done by the power of God. This is, this is in the realm of deity. And, and they understood that. And so it says, they glorified the God of Israel. Now, if we look at this same account in, in Mark's gospel, we see that the, the location to which Jesus had gone, which was along the Sea of Galilee, but it was far, it was actually on the east side. It was the Decapolis, uh, which was a Gentile area. And what that tells us is that it's most likely that most of these people didn't even know God. It's kind of like they, they said, well, that's their God over there. But what it says here is that they glorified the God of Israel. You know, when you submit yourself to God and you allow Him to take over, you permit Him to, to take the reins of your life. And, and so you live day after day for Him now, seeking to honor Him with your life. When that happens, His power becomes operative in your life and through you. It may be Small, it may be as a seed at first, or it may be great. But as you begin to see that more and more in your life, it will amaze you. And I know many here have experienced that. 
uh, when he begins to take the things that previously seemed impossible, that seemed hopeless, and he turns them into something beautiful, you become more and more amazed with him. You know, maybe it's a broken marriage, something that was broken beyond healing. Both of you knew it. You had gone through it for years, but you knew that it couldn't ever change. And then one of you, perhaps, or maybe both of you, came to faith in Jesus. And this change began to where you began to see and glimpse this thing called love and care, and sacrifice, and joy, and, and on and on. You begin to see the fruit in the marriage, and you begin to realize this could only happen by the hand of God. And then the marriage begins to produce and to affect other people's lives as well, and the amazement continues. You know, that's when we really begin to glorify God, isn't it? That's where a, a, a true heart for worship uh, really comes to us from seeing God's awesome power at work. And, you know, th this is what we see in this account with the disciples, the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, they saw a situation that was impossible. Uh, they saw the size of the crowd. Uh, they saw the lack of food. They were in a desolate place and so they said to Jesus, in essence, we lack the power and we lack the resources to do anything about fixing this problem. And you know what Jesus said, in essence? Uh, he said to them, in essence, by what he did, he said, you're right in what you say. You lack the power and the resources. But I don't. And so I'm going to work through you. And I'm going to do that which will amaze and that which will drive you and drive my people to worship. And what does he do? He multiplies the bread. He multiplies the fish. Just as we saw with the 5,000 until all were satisfied. And just as, a, as an exclamation point on the end that there were more baskets that were taken up of pieces than the original food, far more than they started with. And of course, the message is this for us, that He is able to do the same in your life and in my life and in the church today. You know, this really is the power uh, and the ability of the Lord Jesus. And it's, it, it, it's the same uh, as we come together to this table this morning. Because we come saying, in essence, one by one, in a sense, that I, I, I am one of those who was taken and placed before the Lord Jesus, submitted myself to Him. And I am one of those who has experienced that great healing of the great physician. Uh, not outwardly, but my greatest need inwardly. You know, and the encouragement for us this morning is to, to see that and to know that uh, day after day after day in our lives. To know that this is the God who we worship. And you think about it, what a, what a wonderful thing to know that He is compassionate and loves us and cares for us. That He gave Himself for us. 
And to know at the same time that He is the one who is able and He is the one who is greater than all things, has all power, and has the ability to provide for our greatest needs. As we come to know that more and more in our minds and our hearts as we live our lives, we are able to live lives more and more fully before Him, day after day. And you know, in a moment, we're going to sing a song, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. And what that is, of course, is a response. It's a response of praise for that which He has done. So let's sing it with a heart that knows the Lord Jesus. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank You that You are the great healer. And thank You, Lord, that You know us well. Uh, You know the depth of our need and that You have provided for that need. I thank You that we can come to this table this morning that, that points to the meeting of that need by the Lord Jesus and that also gives us that assurance as we take it in, that assurance that He is mine and that I will not be let out of His hands. I thank You for the ways that You work and we do pray for Your help in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.